Tetra was the first site that we introduced the infinite adjust system on the front end. With previous sites, we had what we call a hopscotch or plug and play type of scope housing, where you had to bolt the scope housing to the frame to find the correct location. The Tetra changed that with the infinite adjust system. So now, when you sight in your 20 yard mark, you can really fine tune by sliding the whole scope housing up and down in this channel system. That's probably one of the biggest features to the Tetra. Another key feature of the Tetra is Ninja Star yardage wheel. Getting a better hold on the yardage wheel, especially when you're hunting and you have heavier gloves on. The Tetra does have 100 yard capabilities with the yardage tape and that's to the yard. A couple other key features of the Tetra is you get both third and second axis for even more precision. But one of the key features as far as looks goes is we've updated the front end or the housing of the Tetra. So now you have a brighter, larger uh, scope ring which helps with peep alignment as well as a built-in scope level which is just more secure. The Tetra is available in a fixed frame bracket with, with three different mounting locations as well as a dovetail or tournament edition uh, so you can adjust the distance that the scope housing is away from your bow and the Tetra is also available in three different scope housing sizes. You get an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarter, as well as a new four pin multiple pin head. All the heads are interchangeable. All the Tetras are compatible with any of our accessories. For more information, you can visit our website at www.hhasports.com. Hello, we're at the ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we use with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens. It still has our momentum management compressible blade technology. So the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed. Uh, in flight, it's one inch by inch and a quarter. Another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like. So swap the tip out, get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place roll those blades up and then it's a click and another click on the other side it's completely set in will not prematurely deploy will not rattle free solid containment 100 percent deployment every time so we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time so that's what's new for vip this year all right, folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks of America podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vance. Tonight's guest is the urban bow hunter. Let me correct that. Urban whitetail hunter out of Pennsylvania. I got Matthew Kerbanek online here. Now, I've never met anybody or talked to anybody that actually is able to hunt in an urban surrounding because it can be very dicey and, you, and there's things that you have to go through to be able to achieve it. And I'm going to allow him to explain it. Now he's based out of Pennsylvania. And so he's going to be able to, he's, 
He's going to talk about what he has to go through to be where he's at, but we're going to do like my normal routine. We're going to talk about how he became where he is today and how he's gotten to this point and like some of the trials and tribulations and where he's going from here. So without further ado, I'm just going to let Matt explain to you his inspiration, his hunting experiences, his stories. So nice things. This is going to be on YouTube. So go make sure you go like and subscribe and then find his stuff on Instagram. So it won't be hard to find it because I just literally read off his handle at, uh, urban whitetail hunter. So go find him on Instagram. So Matt, tell us about you. Sure. Um, you know, I grew up here in Pittsburgh and, um, but what was interesting was I was based here in the suburban area, but most of my family lived in the outdoors. So for example, my grandfather was the superintendent of Presque Isle state park up in here. So that's kind of where I fell, fell in love with the outdoors because he lived on the park. So, you know, it was a lot of fishing. He did, we did some duck hunting. We did some different duck, uh, different types of hunting up there on the park. Um, as well as my grandfather and my dad's side. I mean, he, he was a steel worker, you know, took early retirement and he moved up in the Laurel Highlands. And that was what he did is that, you know, with all that spare time up in that Ligonier, uh, Seven Springs area, he did a lot of hunting. And, uh, you know, that's kind of where I started. And then, of course, you know, I met my wife and had, you know, have a daughter. And probably about 10 years ago, I got back into it. And, um, you know, I, I was always fascinated with bow hunting. That's what my grandfather up at Rector did. And I just, you know, was walking into a box store one day and I mentioned to my wife, you know what? I want to start doing this again. Picked up all the gear. And that's where I started getting into the urban area just because, you know, with what I do for a job, it's you know, it's hard to find time to get out up north and into the middle of the state to, you know, go out there and go hunting. So, um, you know, I found out some little tiny thickets of area in this urban, you know, that around, around here in Pittsburgh and, you know, started hunting those little spots. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I started getting into it. Um, so what, uh, you said you you got back into it about ten years ago. What 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 put everything on pause between when you're in your youth to to when you started back up about ten years ago, fifteen years ago? Um, you know, well, you know, my grandfather. So my dad really wasn't a hunter. He really wasn't into it at all. Um, so you know, when my grandfather's both kind of passed away, you know, my, so my grandfather up in Erie, you know, he kept going even through retirement and whatever my uncle retired and he moved to Orlando and then he passed away. And then my grandfather up in the mountains passed away. That was kind of the thing that kind of, you know, I really didn't have that going on. And it was around the same time I graduated from high school. I started going to college. Um, I didn't really have the time to do that. And then, you know, I met my wife and we got married and had kids. And then, you know, whenever the kids start getting a little older, that's when it was like, hey, I actually have time to do this now. So, yeah, that's kind of how it, you know, yeah, it paused for a while. Nice. And then when it comes down to metro hunting, you're actually hunting in Pittsburgh. Is that what I'm understanding? Or do you, are you hunting in like a suburb area? Um, in the suburbs. So yes. Yeah, so like the, if you were to look at a map, um, it's really difficult to get into the city. Now I did, I do belong to a group. Now we are called whitetail management 
And we, it's like, it's kind of a hunting club. And what we do is we will hunt in the park system just to cut down on the deer herd. So, so what you do with that is that, you know, you pay the 60, $75 and you have to cover, you know, the insurance and all these things that everything, you know, that the park system requires for us to have. So we all pull in on the insurance um, and you have to go through a shooting test, um, a very simple test, uh, you know, like shooting an eight on a 3D target, 20 yards, <laughs> you know, you got to be able to do three arrows. So I wouldn't really call that. If you couldn't do that, you probably shouldn't be bow hunting. <laughs> Valid. Um, I was wondering what the, if there was, if no, this test, is this sanctioned by the, uh, the, um, the insurance company or the city or the county? How does that, uh, it it's done so yeah it's done by the run by the group so we have um so there are probably six or seven park areas around pittsburgh um you know so like for example my area is in boyce park it, i don't know exactly how big it is and what they do is they'll break it up into 22 different areas of like acres and then we'll say you know this is your area that's your area and this is your so on and so forth and then out of there, you have a site manager. And each park has a site manager. And then there's one guy that runs the whole organization, and he reports to the Pittsburgh City Council. You know, so he will turn in like harvesting reports and so on and so forth. So that group runs the, the testing and the background checks, because that's another thing that they will do is they will run a background check on your licenses to see if you've ever been flagged for, you know, in Pennsylvania, it's illegal to hunt over bait, um, you know, hunting past hours, anything like that. You can't have any type of any uh, within reason. I think one guy is in the group and he got flagged two years ago for, I think his bass that he caught was a 11 and seven eighths inches and not 12. So they did flag him for that. Um, but they, the, the group will let stuff like that slide. But yeah, that you have to have a clean hunting record and pass the shooting test. Well, that's nice. So, when was this? When was your club created? Um, that I'm not too sure about. I, as far as I know, some of the guys have been doing this for 25, 30 years. Um, the the site manager i was actually invited to do this because i placed in a top 10 in a regional 3d tournament and one of the guys there recognized me from my shooting club and said hey we got this group going on i think you'd be this would be a good fit for you but uh, as far as i know probably about 30 years okay so do you know how this came about then because this is pretty interesting that, that that a club was able to like somebody had the the, the imagination to start going through the emotions and creating this so many years ago. So one of the things that I, I, in the, in these salt in the suburban areas is it's getting overpopulated, really overpopulated with deer. So I think that's kind of where it started. Um, Cause I mean, if you walk through my area, it's pretty well eaten down to the dirt. I mean, we, <laughs> the park system is very overpopulated. Um, and then there's other small sections in town where they have been for years trying to deal, deal with their deer population, um, you know, because 
a lot of people seem to think, and, you know, a friend of mine just asked me about this earlier in the season, probably about October, he had a bunch of deer just standing in the street and people were just driving around them with cars. They're not even moving any. And um, he asked me about that. And I said, yeah, that's the problem. Whenever they get overpopulated, they get desensitized people. Um, they'll, you know, nose through trash, they'll get poisoned, all kinds of things that we all, all hear about. And I said, you know, that's where you need to approach an organization like us and say, hey, we can come in, hunt your parks and kind of cut down on the deer herd. So now when you set up for your hunt and uh, do you guys, are you able to put in tree stands or do you guys, do you have to use blinds? What are the rules on that? So I, I, they don't, we can put up a lock on stand. Um, It has to be pretty well hidden in the park. Um, Cause we, technically we're supposed to be doing this under the cover, what they call the cover of darkness, meaning um, you know, they don't want anybody seeing us up in the trees or anything like that. Um, lock on stands, they're okay. You do have to take off the bottom 12 feet of your stand. Um, no ladder stands, no blinds. So you're pretty much a lot of guys are working with climbers. And I did this lat this year's we're starting to get into the saddle hunting. Cause that's um so much easier to maneuver and get around and you know up into those trees and stuff like that with the saddles it's a lot easier but pretty much everything is mobile hunting in that area in that spot which makes sense then oh so there are other areas so that um that are more have permanent fixtures in because i was a little confused it's like is that what everybody's moving towards or some people still doing the climbers or um the older guys will stick to the climbers and um so, I mean, if you looked in the park, what they don't want you to do is to set up, I think the rule is like 10 yards, no no closer than 10 yards to a walking path. Um, but there are sections where, you know, you may go over the hill and have a couple hundred yards before you get to a highway or something. And down there, they don't really care. You can hang or you can put up some, you know, uh, ladder stands or something down there. They just don't want anybody to see it. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's like you don't want anybody climbing up on there because if a kid happens to climb up in there and falls off, who, who where, where does that insurance does that fall on the owner of the stand or does that fall on the park? You know, that, I mean, that really opens up a bit uh, a gray area that nobody wants to deal with that conversation. Right. That's why you know I was just talking to my site manager yesterday about you know there's a good spot where it's a really large tulip tree. I can't get my climber around it. I'm not too sure if I could get my strap around it for my saddle to put the sticks on it. And I asked him, can I hang a uh, lock on stand? And he was like, he said, you know, that area is really close to like a soccer field. And he said, I don't like that idea because you may have kids roaming around there. He said, why don't you just try to find another tree? Yeah, makes perfect sense. You know, the unique thing is that over the last couple of years, like the saddle hunting has really picked up, which is kind of strange because we've been having saddles for ever since we've been climbing trees and, and hanging up uh, telephone lines. You know, it's like, I wonder why it's taken so many years to get to where we're at today with saddle hunters. You know, that's an interesting um, question because I may have some insight into this because in this group, you know, you have some of the younger guys that are coming in. Cause I, I met, you know, these guys, like I said, about, three, four years ago. And I'm bringing in some of my friends to do it too. 
And a lot of these older guys that are there, and they'll see us up there in these saddles, and they'll just – they don't get it. <laughs> they just think it's they, – they're more comfortable with, like I said, a lock-on stand or a climber. Mm-hmm. And I keep telling these guys, trust me, if you put on a saddle, it's more comfortable than sitting up in a lock-on. To me, it is. I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. And the flexibility to be able to quickly turn around the trees and such and manipulate yourself with the wind and the sun and such like that. So I find that they're pretty neat. I'm by myself. I, I am not a, I'm not a heights person. And so it's like my wife gave me the permission to pull a trigger on a ground blind, but here in Wisconsin, there will be plenty of opportunities to go hunting. And I don't know if we have, a, honestly, I don't know if we have clubs that allow us to do um, that are, that have made agreements with the, the, uh, well, what would you, what would you call it? Would it be the parks and recs pretty much? I don't know if anybody here has actually come up with an agreement to do it. Now you said this is a club. Now, is this invite only, or can you, any guy can apply? What is the process in getting into this club? That's a good question. Um, it's very secretive because they do have, now I live, I'm trying to think, Like on the eastern side of the city, we don't have very much of an anti-hunting sentiment in the in the park system. I've never run into anybody who approached me and started yelling. I've had in, you know, getting into the whole urban thing, I get approached a lot um, of with the anti-hunting sentiment. People will just come up and approach you and start yelling at you. Um up north. So if you were to look at Pittsburgh, you know, up in the northern area, heading more towards Erie, as the suburban area kind of expands that way, there's more parks up there. And they really have an issue with that up there. Um, I've heard some crazy stories of some of those parks from the site managers up in the parks up there. Um, So they try to keep it pretty down low. You know, they don't want anybody to know about it because they don't want anybody coming out and bothering anybody or you know, just uh, causing a big problem. They, they don't want that. So it's, you know, if you, it, it's kind of like, if you know somebody who's in the club, they'll tell you when the, the shoot, the test day is where you go in and do the interview and all that stuff. But like, there isn't a website or anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I would, I would be, if I was a cl- the club president to keep that deal, because if you, I don't know if you've looked at what's going on at West, because in out West in Arizona and in um, Colorado, there's bills are trying to be passed to, pa- to eliminate predator hunting and which is they're going after bobcats, lynx, mountain lions, and bears. And so it's like, that is something that is, that is, that they're dealing with on both those States. And then if you go up a little further, you go into, into Utah, they're, they've they've gone away and they've taken away the the ability for people on private and on public to use trail cameras. Now, anybody that's paid attention to the Sportsman Alliance, those guys, their their whole goal is to is to fight these in court to keep them to allow us to have this because once they start start chipping away, they're going to start taking away from everything, and that's the worst part about it. They just they'll just keep going and going and going. Now, with your guys' organization, you got that exact same philosophy. It's like you need to keep this quiet, you need to keep this uh, nice and tight. Now, do you guys have support? from the local DNR or from the police officers, because I'm assuming, like you said, you've heard stories of people being unruly. Um, Absolutely. Yes. I run into, so Allegheny County police does the uh, park system and that I'm in there, you know, 
you know, we have, so we have parking passes and little tags that we put on our, on our, on our dashboard so that they know, you know, we're in there and those guys are fantastic. I mean, I've been in there coming out of a tree stand in the dark and I've seen flashlights and these guys come in just to make sure I'm okay. Um, but I mean, they, they'll just stop and ask you, did you get anything? Um, sometimes they'll help you drag them out. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, the police, the, the one thing that I know about the police in this area is, is that they really support the game commission with the hunter harassment laws. So, yeah, I mean, from that, yeah, we do have some support. Um, the parks, I, I think from the park standpoint, from what I understand and when they talk, communicate with the site managers, I think they just don't want to be hassled by other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense because I'm sure there's, there's probably going to be a few Kevins and, and some, and some Karens out there. that are going to really raise some hell that is unnecessary for the situation that be now. Do you, is so with the parks, do they give you a certain, uh, time to hunt or do you, or do you follow you guys follow the state? laws or is it or is it different between that and if you were to go on public land no so we pretty much we'll stick with the state laws um the only thing that we can't do in pennsylvania um anytime where there's in uh, if anybody's out there don't quote me on this because our our laws change constantly there were um if you were required to wear orange to hunt we're not allowed to hunt in the park Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause you don't want to be sticking on like a sore thumb. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Cause like, for example, muzzle loader season in Pennsylvania is like the second week in October. And I know for archery hunters, you're still required to wear your 250 square inches of orange. So they will just tell you straight up. No, you can't come in the park. I could be wrong. I think they changed that this year, but, um, yeah. And I think the only thing that they do is that we're done. So Allegheny County and Philadelphia County, they'll go to the end of January statewide just ended this past Saturday. So that was the end of that in the park system. Okay. But in your area, you're still allowed to, you're going to, you're going to be able to finish out to the end of the season end of January, correct? Yes, but not in the parks, but there are other areas in the urban. Yeah. So the, yeah, like I said, on Saturday, they, they shut us down on January 15th, but like tomorrow morning, I'm going to head out because I know there's some other small thickets and, you know, we have some other stands up. Now with the parks, do you guys have a tag limit per person? No. So the only thing we do is we, we're required to shoot a doe first. Okay. Oh, earn a buck program. And, okay. What's that? Earn a buck. Wisconsin used to have that a while ago, but then the outfitters got a little pissy about that and yelled at Scott Walker and they changed that law. It was nice because in order for us to control a CWD, it's like you had to go after does. And then, you, then once you shot your first doe, then you can turn that in. Then you get your buck tag. Yeah. They just tell us, um, yeah, make sure you get a doe first. Um, you know, because yeah, we're, we're game control. We're not, they, they don't want people just, waiting for that big buck to walk in front of their stand. They, that's what they don't want. Which makes perfect sense. It's like you said, like you mentioned, it, it's all about the control of the animal. Otherwise, like you, otherwise, in your earlier stories, they just become a nuisance. And that's something we don't want to have happen because some deer can be kind of like, if they catch them on the wrong mood, they can be violent. We've seen them on YouTube and such. 
Yes. And, you know, here in Allegheny County and into the urban areas, I mean, for me, it's, you know, it's sad to see how many that are laying on the side of the road because I got hit by a car. Um, I've had people call me. My neighbor called me a couple years ago. His mom had one drop in her, in her backyard. And he asked me, why would that happen? And I thought, you know what? They could have been nosing through somebody's trash looking for food and could have eaten something that could have poisoned them, you know? Yeah, that's a good a good assessment right there because you never know what they're going to come across because they're like like animals. If they smell some sweet that that to, to us it's delicious, but for them it's just going to throw their immune system through the, through the roof or twist their gut biome up and just going to send them to the south. Now, uh, how uh, let's see where when it comes down when it when so it's, so how many tags do you, do you as a resident do you have do you get to to get to fill I should say. So, you mean in the park system or just in general? Well, how does that work? So do, now, do you do you use the the tags that are allocated to you from the state to fill the parks, or do the park? Okay, so that's how that works. I was wondering if there was if you get to, if you get a bonus tag or something like that. If there's a is a different type of um, uh, table that you get to work off of because you're in a special area. No, no, they uh, yeah, they just let us you know file for as many tags as we can through our courthouse. And how many tags is that for a resident? That is there. So in Allegheny County, it it's not unlimited, but it, it may as well be. It's like they issued something like 79,000 doe tags this year. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how many tags did you get this year? Um, I, I filed for three. I filled one. <laughs> Yeah, I get. I I got. I had four tags. I filled one. So, but I still have two more weeks left. And I was hoping to go out the, today, but I've been battling this cold, and it's like no sense of adding insult to injury to it. So I just kind of took care of some stuff around, and I got a new phone, and and then recorded a podcast. So it's like you know, instead of trying to get my like, because it's went up in the cities, up in Minneapolis, went to a football game, and it's like I knew I was going to catch something. I just didn't know how bad it would be. I didn't get the pandemic. It was just basically a, a head cold, and I and I managed to go through a whole process with that and uh now i'm on the now and then this nice thing is that this weekend i have nothing planned and it's full and it's like right now it's, it's going to be nice and cold so it's like i'm going to get out there i'm going to bundle up and hopefully uh punch uh, a uh either two more doe tags or one more buck tag so it's like we'll see what see what walks in front of me yeah exactly um i will say in the urban areas it's hard to find buck <laughs> it's it's really difficult i mean it's it's hard enough as it is you know because you're hunting these small little areas you know five six acres at a time and they they're pretty smart they'll get around i wouldn't doubt it and uh so you get in there like i'm assuming it's like when uh when do you know that your hunt is over with when you're hunting in the park um you know, I'll tell you what, that hunting in the park is, it is a very unusual thing. It, it's, it goes against anything you've ever learned. Number one, like scent control is never an issue. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so I've actually, so this year, this was the craziest thing I saw as I was up in a tree and in my area, I have a walking path that goes right around me. And I mean, people never see me up there. And I watched a guy and I saw probably 20. So in the park, they, rec they restrict your shooting to about 20 yards. Um, 
you know, because what they don't want. So we have to number. They give us a number. We have to put them in all of our arrows. Um, you know, lose one, we have to report it. So, and they also, that's why I'm trying to stay to 20 yards and so that I'm always shooting down. I don't want anything going straight. Um, so I'm standing there and probably 30 yards off to my right shoulder is an area where they feed. And I'm just, excuse me, I'm just standing there watching them. And one kind of roams out and this guy was walking past with his wife and he saw the deer and he, he just his eyes got huge and he opened up his phone and he started videoing this doe and started chasing it around. And she ran right underneath my tree and looked up at me. And I just like looked at her like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it was the craziest thing. She just stood there and I'm just like, I, I don't even know what to say. You know, here's this doe that's like, well, there's a hunter up here and there's some lunatic that's chasing me around trying to make a video of me. <laughs> So, um, it is, a, it's an unusual experience, but I mean, they're out moving around pretty much all the time. Um, I will say that, uh, it'll ruin the discipline of getting up very early. <laughs> I could see that happening, but now getting up early and being out there, I'm sure that has to play a high value this way. Then if they're out moving around before nobody else move around, you're going to be able to take a shot. Correct. You feel more comfortable. Uh, not. I mean, yes, I, I mean, I will tell you last year, I passed up on several of them just because there were people around. You didn't want to have an audience? No, I mean, and they tell you that because I, there was uh, on this, there, there was a bike path. Like I said, I'm in the same spot and there's a bike path and this little kid, he was there riding a bike with his dad. And I think his dad spotted me up in the tree and he went back down the bike path to tell his wife that there was a hunter up there and he was standing there right on the corner and here they come, they come walking through. There's about four or five of them. And I'm like, I can't, I am not going to shoot a deer in front of a nine-year-old kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's yeah. funny though. It's like so I, out, out West here. It's like, we have like here in Wisconsin, we can, as, as soon as the kid can pretty much walk and you can, and they can, and if you can figure out how to get them to pull a trigger on a crossbow, they can hunt. I mean, we have a, we, we set the, the, the bar so low. So it's like a nine-year-old for us hunting is better than again, you're in an urban scenario. So it's like, I, you don't want them to be turned off from it. So that's kind of a smart thing to do. Cause I'm, I'm sure, is that something that you guys kind of preach is like only pull the trigger if you don't have an audience? Yeah. I mean, you know, I would just use your common sense. I'm not going to shoot while there's a whole family watching. Cause I don't know what they're going to do. And, you know, I don't want them calling and complaining to the park to the park rangers, you know, um, it, it was difficult enough as it is because I, I'd been approached by several people that will ask me like, Hey, can you hunt in this park? And which I tell them no. Cause you know, I definitely don't want anybody that hasn't gone through the process just showing up and hanging a tree stand. True. Then if, if somebody is actually genuinely curious about it, then do you actually spend a little bit more time explaining the process then, or do you just kind of just keep it straight and simple? No. Or how do you, how do you handle that? Uh, so I, you know, I, I try to be an ambassador of the sport. I will stand there and talk to you. I love talking about hunting. I'll answer any question you want to know. Um, you know, it, I think it just all depends. Like I said, the, the general guys of the group is we're supposed to do this without anybody knowing about it. But I don't I don't know if I necessarily agree with it, because 
in my area, most people, I don't want them to be afraid of what we're doing. I would rather stand out, stand there and explain to you why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, especially with in this urban areas with the growth of um, anti anti hunting sentiment, you know, maybe they could start to understand why it needs to be done. That is why a lot of us podcasters do this is because we want to bring on folks like yourself, Matt, to talk about these these issues and such and why it is, it is an asset to, to have this because we've been so disconnected from our roots for so many uh, years. Now we're, 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 all, we're going to be coming to a scenario where we're going, to, we're going to have a generation or generations without actually having anybody actually go out, out there and get their food. Everything is like you just go to, the, you go to the supermarket and you come back home. And that's how it is. And it's like, you know, out, out, out when you get in the more rural areas and stuff like that, it's like when you're on a budget and you don't have a lot of income coming in, it's like that was how you sub, that's how you trade that off. And now with the price tag of agriculture going up and how um, this, this administration is handling the farming community, like we're going to start seeing a massive increase on our vegetables and our meats. Cause like heck today, went to get a sub and, and I was looking at some of the price tags at Subway and they were almost like $14 for a sub. But it's like, I remember when these were $5, it's like it, you've, you've seen this dramatic impact already. So it's like some of these restaurants that, that, that they're, they, they thrive off of fresh veggies and fruits. They're not going to survive because the cost is going to be so outlandish. No, I agree. And I'll tell you, so here in Pittsburgh, it's an interesting area because as you moved out, there used to be farmland. And we just did a deer drive on third Friday. And as we were going through like some of the farther out um, suburban areas, you know, I'm riding in a, you know, in a pickup truck with an older guy who was telling me, see that new housing plan that used to be a farm that I used to hunt. And he said, you know, but they sold the land to a developer to build houses. <laughs> so yeah, even the farms are going away too around here. It's almost one of those things where if I was a developer in certain areas, like you'd almost want to have a certain element. So this way that's like you, you have a, uh, a way to screen for people that are outdoors. You know, it's like, you just kind of put in some questions into their application when they're applying and stuff like that. Cause this way, then if you can, if you're able to structure the community and have some of that uh, ability to have a transfer area and bedding and food areas. Like it'd be nice to be able to have your own hunting community. And in this way it's makes everybody more of a steward of the land because now they're going to be more uh, diligent about making sure they avoid people dumping, dumping garbage, uh, dumping toxic stuff like that. And it's like this way, then you have that element of um, wildlife and, and it's the only downside. It's like, it can only be archery only, but it's going to get people out there and it's going to get people to maintain that uh, value of the land. Sure. No, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, so even the Pennsylvania game commission, they promote uh, where you can go to different farms and you know, that the farmers will tell you, Hey, come and hunt on my farm. You know? So for example, believe it or not, at the end of my street is an old farm and they gave up growing corn years ago because it was total loss on their crop because of the deer. You know, so now it's just it's just a big field. 
And I uh, take it. Do you have permission to hunt out there? Do or do they have given? Have they given permission to hunt that area? So this would go along with the anti-hunting sentiment. Um, you know, talking about you know going back to when I first got back into this. So yeah, I at the end of my street is a farm, and I ran into him one day and I asked him if I could hunt on his property, and he said absolutely. He said, please get rid of some of these. They he went through the whole thing of how they used to farm the land and they can't do it anymore. Um, and I did, you know, I got a buck, really nice one. And his neighbor came out and completely lost it on me and my friend. I mean, they stood there and yelled and screamed and threatened to call the police for hours while we were dragging this out. And um I mean, it would have been actually, you know, I've talked to some of the police officers who would have said it would have been a benefit to you if she would have called because he, he said I would have come down and set her straight and said, you can't bother these guys for doing this. If he's allowed to be on his land, it's none of your business. You know, but she never followed through with the threat. But, um, yeah, he does permit me to hunt on the land. But unfortunately, between that and the fact that it is actually next to a golf course. And I talked to the, one of the guys uh, that runs the golf course, he's head, head's groundskeeper. And he said, please hunt the land, you know, over there as much as you want. And I said, that's fantastic. I said, so who do I call if one runs onto the course? And he looked at me and said, what do you mean running on the course? And I told him, I've been doing this a long time. When you shoot him, I have no idea where it's going to run. <laughs> and, um, oh, he just looked at me and said, I can't have him run on the course. And I said, <laughs> yards that way there's a good possibility it's going to run on the golf course and so i just i i'm allowed to go on the land but i don't because there's no support yeah i don't blame you for that because then all of a sudden you're, you you get one that decides to go a different direction and it's going to run on there now it's like well now it's like you're going to have to call the cops because they're going to you're going to need somebody to have to play the the diplomat so this way then you can go out there retrieve it and come back or somebody's going to go out there and take it from you and then then it just becomes a process a problem for it i ran into a similar situation on my old hunt land over in minnesota where it's like i got the permission to hunt the guy he is he was the the landowner was absolutely an awesome man he worked second shift he didn't give a shit when i showed up didn't care if i was out there from sun up to sun down he appreciated me when i came out there and cleaned up his creek because there's a creek that ran through it or cleaned up any of the trees and the but then it came down to retiring in 2019 where i lost the opportunity because now it's like i have to deal with my neighbors for having you hunt this land was kind of like my way of giving them the finger throughout the entire season and so it's like now i'm retiring and now i have to deal with them so it's like unfortunately i'm not gonna let you be able to hunt this anymore it's like darn it because i had some i was grooming some massive bucks i like i have pictures and videos of them and it's like i my wife and i had all planned out for our honeymoon because we weren't gonna go on a honeymoon our honeymoon was gonna go set for during during when we when we've seen the the buck show up on our camera, but then when we go up there to follow up with them and let them know it's what we're doing and stuff like that, and that's why that's why he told me what's going on. It's like all right, well, you know, I can't fault him for that, but now it's like I, I'm keeping an eye out on that piece of land to see if I can buy it because it's only like five six acres, but it's a funnel point because it's it's where all the deer like to come and bed, and it's like if you were to look if I were to send you a, a screenshot of it, you'll see why I love it because you'll see it open up to this massive forest land, and then and then it's shrinks down to this funnel area but where the water the at the end of his product property the water goes underneath the underneath the land so for me it's like it's perfect because all it is, is just run up from the other from the other fields from across the way and it's like 
the they he loved it and the other people there's a few people that enjoyed allowing me to hunt out there because then it's like i'll be able to go out there and take some deer off the land so we have to worry about having them when they're coming around the church because it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a it's a curve and the deer will come right up out of there and they won't even recognize it and it's like if if you're not careful the ditch you it's it's a ten, it's a 10 foot drop and it's like knocking wood nobody's veered into it but there have been deer several deer hit there i've seen some nice looking bucks like eh, like like basket six and basket eights but not like massive ones like 130 140 but just seeing them on the side of the road it's like oh that's unfortunate but you know just how it goes and then it's like it's funny it's like they always think the grass is greener on the other side even though they have everything they need right where they're at yeah so, so oh go ahead no, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> so, uh, now, since you hunt in the parks, now, do you have, a, do you shoot a heavier arrow just to have that higher FOC to make that pass through? You know, that's something that I started doing this year. Um, just in general, because last year I hit one in the brisket and it didn't make it all the way through. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about that just for the fact of, yeah, yes. So to, to the quick answer is yes, I do. I'm now doing Carbon Express pile drivers this year. Oh, I shoot, I shoot uh, Carbon Express Maxima Reds. They're, they're a good arrow. Yeah. Um, yeah, the pile drivers are pretty good. I was even thinking of, I was half and half on whether I was going to actually go to the old double uh, X-75s. Um, yeah, real heavy. Um, but um, the pile drivers are pretty good. I mean, it zipped through the deer that I got this year. She didn't even know she was hit. That's how mine was this year too. It's like I I I, I, found, I bumped. I was shooting right around four fifty. Well, this year I decided to go up to to five fifty. Shot a deer at thirty yards. Went straight through her, and she didn't even act like what she didn't even know what happened. Forty yards, she just piled up and. And it rest is history. Now, if I was if I was paying it, if I was actually like. Uh, in the in like I was I was more focused on the other because there's two deer that came in they're they're basically twins from a letter from a couple of years previously and so I put one through one of the deer and it's like I had an opportunity to, to arrow the other one but I never did it's like because it's like well maybe I'm just I was more focused on the other one but because it's like you never know when you shoot one like what's going to come over from a different direction so but you know I made the I made the right decision so it's like either way now it's like I have another doe that's going to be hopefully got bred during the rut and more, if not, well, I'm hopefully going to shoot her next year because she's going to pack on a little bit more weight, but yeah, she is zip, zip straight through at 30 yards and pack complete pass through. And then I, it was made things really easy to clean up and take care of. I destroyed the heart, but yeah. you know, it happens. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. You got to love it whenever they drop within sight of your stand. <laughs> Oh, that's the best because like I had the, the, the state, the, uh, the previous landlord when I shot this buck here, he ran across the, 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 the fence, to the next man's and, uh, he took off and he never came back. We were, my wife and I were sitting there waiting until 10, 11 o'clock at night, but he never came back home. So it's like, I have no idea if he went, what he, what he did. So it's like, well, we drove all the way back to Wisconsin, got up early in the morning, drove out to his place, knocked on his door. It's like, Hey, uh, my deer is back there. Can I go grab it real fast? And he never, it's like, it's amazing how well people don't listen. Cause he says, he does just don't hunt. He's like, I'm going to go pick up the deer, but it's like, I just needed to go grab it real fast. Cause he was, he was, he, he's the Karen that kind of, kind of gave my landlord the, um, uh, 
urgency to kind of end our end our agreement. So it's like, well, it is what it is. But I was able to go grab it, and he was he was something. Um, I was pretty I was really happy with my success with him, and uh, he double lunged him, didn't go all the way through. That's when I, like when I learned to go a little bit heavier, and uh, he ran four yards, tipped over. The worst part was when I finally when I found him that next morning, the coyotes had gotten to him, so they already ripped out his uh, the genitals and and ripped out his uh, his anal cavity. But it's like it made butchering it really easy because all I do was cut around the spots that they got into, and you now we've been eating. Up. He's he, we finally finished eating him this year. Because I, I um I don't know what if you do do this, but I actually after I was in processing a deer, I'll put it in a, um, a food saver bag and suck all the air out of it, and they'll last a good two and a half three years if if you don't if they if you maintain that consistent consistent um, temperature. Is that something that you do? Have you or no? I mean, believe it or not, I you know I usually get one or two per year, and that'll last me for the entire season. Um, but I rarely have deer meat that lasts more than a year. I, you know, soon as them, you know, it's like we start making stuff immediately out of them. As my wife got older, my stomach, her stomach is just like the, 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 the cleanliness of the meat just doesn't quite treat her intestines this the best. So it's like, I have to, I, have, I can only have it so often. So, but I did want to follow up on something you were talking about with your, you know, the differences between hunting out out in the country versus the urban area is recovering deer. And that's really difficult in the urban areas because if you don't get a good shot, um, they can run. And I'm sure, you know, if you scare them off, they can run for a good couple miles. Now that could be in somebody's yard, three miles away. And you would have literally no idea where they went. <laughs> and so, you know, and that's that's one of the drawbacks that I don't like about this, because one of the the one that I got in the park this year was a liver shot. And I got when I picked when I found the arrow, it was just completely red. And I knew I knew I, got, I didn't get her in the gut. And um, but I was on an area that was probably, oh, I don't know, 35 yards from the road that goes through the middle of the park. And she rode. I heard all the traffic stop. And then she was up into the neighborhoods and we looked for hours and we never did find her, you know, but then you start in on another example on Friday, somebody got one in our deer drive and it's, you know, across there behind the, you know, the grocery store up on the Hill or something like that. And, you know, I mean, I didn't stick around to see if those guys found it because we just kept going from drive to drive to drive. And then whenever the day was over, they went back to take a look for it. So I haven't asked them yet if they ever found it. But, yeah, that's an interesting thing about the urban hunting is you don't you got to really it isn't like, you know, you're, you're not going to have four or five or six hours to go and find them. You know, because there's something that can constantly get them up and moving, because, like I said, it could be running through traffic. They could lay down in somebody's backyard and then somebody will say, oh, look, there's a deer and then want to go out and take a look at it. And then it's up and running again, you know, and then you can technically never find it. Yeah, that is uh, that we've all I've been in that I've been in your shoes, man. It's that's not a, a fun feeling to have because it's like you're you're just sick because it's like you you as a, as an ethical person, it's like you don't want to have them suffer. You want to be quick and painless. So I have a friend of mine here in town that he shoots for whitetail, a 650 grain arrow. 
because he wants to have that nice 16 inch wound channel. So it's like, if he hits in the shoulder blade, it's like, he, it's going to keep going straight through it. And he owns his own bow shop. So it's like, he always gets the, the latest and greatest Matthew. So it's, but he, he practices constantly. I mean, he's got a, an impressive wall of memories. I call I I, I, I want to start changing the, 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 the mounts to memories because I think it can, take away the stigma of a trophy because the real trophy is the meat, but the, what you have on the, the mount is the memory. And so it's like, we talk about the memory in that way. It can maybe change that ideal about it. Cause what like Steve Rennell has done with Meteor, that's what's had this massive influx of hunters because of his cooking show. Essentially. No, it, it is. no absolutely. And, and I love that. And there was a quote on there, you know, cause like I, I have this trophy here. This was the one that I got in the farmer with my, some of the strings coming off. And what's interesting about this one is um, this was the one where the lady came out and started yelling at us. That was on, um, that was on the first day of archery. So here we're the 18th of September and it was 80 degrees outside. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> and like I said, I, he, he came down the path. Um, I was just excited. There's something coming in front of me. And then I saw, I saw the rack and I'm like, Oh my goodness, it's a buck. That's, a, like, that's, a, that's a good looking rack from what I can see on zoom here. Yeah. Um, one, two, three, four, five, I don't know. Do you guys count the brow tines? We do. <laughs> Wisconsin. Okay. Does, so yeah. So this is 11. Man, um, that's a nice looking buck. That's a good, nice looking rack. Yeah, he, but, but to kind of go along with what Steve, I remember Steve Ranella said they were sitting around talking about how the best hunts are the ones where you are miserable while you're doing it. Then you get together with your friends afterwards and you just laugh about it. And that's what me and my friends do about this one is it's 85 degrees. I shot this thing. It ran down into a valley. I stood there and stared at it like, oh, I got to call a couple people. We came out and we were totally unprepared for this. I remember I have like my, you know, safety harness and it has that um, retention strap and it says for a deer drag. And I wrapped it around, <laughs> wrapped it around the, uh, the rack and I'm standing there and I'm walking and all I'm doing is kicking dirt up in the air. This thing must, I remember when I took it into the processor after it was, um, cleaned up after we got it. I think he weighed 190, 190 pounds. It's big. Um, yeah, so I'm standing there, and then we just decided we were going to try to drag him out by the rack. And we were out there, and we had to go get the farmer and all kinds of stuff. And we were out there until midnight trying to drag this thing out. We were miserable, we were tired. And to this day, to kind of go back to what Steve Rinella said, every time the three of us get together, that dragging that buck out of the woods comes up and we just sit there and just laugh and like yeah it's the memories that are that's what we're doing we're making memories you know yeah that's exactly right like this buck behind me it's like when my wife and i found him the next morning rigor had fully set in and he decided to get himself back in the cockabers and stuff like that so it's like i grabbed his uh front legs locked him around the back of his head uh, and tied them on because I have a backpack type of strap system where it goes goes over your goes over your shoulders, goes in the chest, goes around your waist. Then it has like a six foot or eight foot lead. And so what? It, we, my wife and I had to take a tr form a train. So it's like she's in front of me. I have my hand on her backpack, and we're and she's helping me 
pull this bastard out. And it was just, it, it, we, and we, and it's like, I didn't want to butcher it in this guy's back of his property. So I took it all the way through his yard to the other field across because I met the guy that owned that field. He's really nice. And so it's like, I just went all the way through to the other side there and dragged it across. We dragged it for about, I don't know, two, 250 yards. And we managed to get it done with underneath an hour and a half because it's like, Oh my, it was just like the, the constant hyperventilation. Cause it's like, cause trying to get his legs to work. And it's like in the, in the all the trees are all crossed woven around. It's like, this is just not fun, but yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And it's like, luckily it wasn't, there was no snow on the ground. So that would even made it even worse because we shot it until beginning of November. And then at that point in time, the snow hadn't, hadn't hit yet. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you hundred percent. It's yeah. Trophies aren't trophies. I don't like, you know, and like I said, my, my background with my grandfathers, both being hunters, I, I was always raised, you know, as a meat hunter, this is not about like going and trying to, you know, shoot the nicest buck you can get. If, Hey, if you get a buck, that's fantastic. You know, but I mean, like you said, the trophies in the meat, to me, it's, it's the experience. It's the whole entire experience. You know, it's not just going out to put something up on your wall. Yeah, exactly. And that's the the best part of it because then now it's like the Lord blessed you with an opportunity to put meat on your table for you and your family. But now it's like I like to take the extra to enter the initiative and invite friends and family over to share it because now it's like this this deer is, has not only touched my life, but it's infected other people of the, of the good intentions, the good tithing. And then it's like I found that I feel that if you're able to share the bounty with others, like I feel like my years that after I've shot that have been becoming more and more bountiful. And so I do the same thing with fishing. If I had a great year of fishing, I have no issue on giving out fish. And like my dad fishes an awful lot, like especially in April up until it gets too hot and right around Father's Day is when he quits fishing and then starts back up again in September until it gets too cold for him. But it's like, he'll give me tons of fish and I'll turn around. I'll give it to other people because, you know, it's might as well share the, the good tidings with other folks. Well, no, absolutely. Especially, you know, with the archery hunting. I mean, I feel I'm blessed that I have a talent that I developed the talent to be able to do this. So yeah, I don't have a problem sharing it. And I think that sometimes it's like you make the deer immortal. I will never forget any of the deer that I ever shot because there's always a great story that goes behind it. Amen. But, you know, it's terrible to me. It kills me whenever you see a deer just laying on the side of the road because it got hit by a truck. Yeah. I, I always tell my friends, it's like, I I've gotten to the point where I always carry a knife on me. And it's like a lot of my friends now do the exact same thing. They have a knife on them. And as I tell them, I say, you, if you have an opportunity or if you can't take care of the deer, somebody let me know. I will, I will, if I'm in a situation where I quit what I'm doing, I will gladly drop what I'm doing and go help you take care of it or, or come to the rescue of it. And if you've called it in for a salvage tag or whatever, do not hesitate to do it because there's a lot of people out there that will would gladly take the initiative to take in, in a butcher it all up and distribute that meat or donate it to it like uh here in wisconsin we have um and i'm sure it's i think it's i think it's pretty much across the board where the you they have food programs for food shelters and stuff like that and i think wisconsin is up to like five or six million tons of food or deer or venison meat that people have donated just in our state and not that i have no idea what missouri or iowa or, or even pennsylvania because i mean your guys's hunting community for uh for archery is massive Oh yeah. Yes. Um, I think I remember last reading last year, Pennsylvania has the most hunter or um, licenses issued in the entire country. Um, and that's another 
popular, you know, just because um, it, when you get into the middle of the state, more into the state game lands, you know, they're really getting hunted out. I've been up there a few times with a few friends rifle hunting and, you know, we don't really see much of anything up there. Yeah, it's almost like it has its uh, brown is down type theory. And if you come into a winter that's deadly cold, or like really, really cold, like uh, like Minnesota went through a deep freeze back in 2013. It was uh, we I think the end of it at the end of it was a hunt like Minneapolis saw 120 days below zero. I mean, it decimated the deer population uh, where I lived at the time in Rochester, Minnesota area. That was we hit 99 days below. Then on top of that, add the snow to it. And it's it, it we saw big, massive, drastic changes like from in 2012, we were able to get five tags. And then 20 and then 2013 hit and we only got a maximum of two tags, a buck and a doe tag. That's it. That's it. Or we're the year before. It's like we can have a group of guys out there and we can clean house for the amount of deer. And then now our our, our numbers are here in the Midwest are, are skyrocketing again because our winters are cold, but we're not seeing those 15 to 30 day stretches. And in like today was 32 degrees outside. So there's a lot of deer, a lot of turkeys. And I'm just driving between West Salem, Wisconsin to La Crosse. That's five miles. I've probably seen probably two dozen turkeys and a bunch of a uh, bunch of whitetail out walking around. Wow. Yeah. Here in Pennsylvania, I mean, the, the winters don't get around Pittsburgh. The winters don't get too bad as you get farther north. I mean, because you get up to close to uh, Erie. You're almost in Canada at that point. Um, it gets cold up there. Um, but yeah, here down in Pittsburgh, I mean, we just got hit with that winter storm. So, you know, as it's moving out, it's going to I think tomorrow is going to be pretty good, but it's going to get down to close to zero for just a few days. But I mean. Geez, we're what, January 20th? Um, six more weeks of winter, and then we'll start warming up a little bit. Yeah, it's like it's it's amazing how like our winters are almost tailored. There's like it's, it can almost feel like there's a, a sense of manipulation that's going on, especially if you like if you get if you put your tinfoil hat on and you start digging into uh, weather patents that they've developed since like the 30s and the 40s. All weapons today, it's it's ridiculous, but it's it's quite uh, strange though because like I remember growing up in the, in the early 90s, and we're having already a couple of feet of snow by time wood hits like November, like the beginning of the rut. And now it's like, we're not seeing snow until after the first of the year. It's like, it's just, it's just frustrating. It's like we, and what, what I've noticed here, like, like last year really showed its true colors with the lack of snow that we've seen up in Duluth and such. Cause if they don't get their 120 to 150 inches of rain or snow, excuse me, our, our water levels as, as it goes down through Minnesota into Iowa into Illinois, they're much lower. And it's, and it's, and it's really shown that it's like, it's hurting the fish population. We're not seeing the regrowth that we normally do. The fish sizes are not as big as they are. Like my dad did the least amount of fishing this past summer that he's done in probably like 10, 15 years. He's been yeah, retired for 10. Yeah. Here in Pennsylvania, the, the craziest thing that's starting to happen now is it's not necessarily the winters. Um, it, it's summer seems to be going a lot longer around here, you know, because archery season starts usually the third Saturday in September in this year. Um, so it'll start cooling off October 15th or something like that. Um, geez, even through Halloween, it was still up into the seventies. Wow, that's really warm because we were actually in the on average about in the forties or fifties. 
So yeah, it really pushed the rut really far back into November. Um, yeah, it's it's really odd, but yeah, it's 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 interesting how the weather kind of affects you know the deer patterns because I know. I've met, you know, shooting some 3D tournaments, I've met some people that are down south that will tell you that, you know, their rut, it, it, it's it got to be when it's cooler. Yeah, I, I have some friends that hunt in, that live in Alabama, Louisiana, and their rut is over or or just, or just, uh, or, or it's about ready to start depending on where they're at. Because it's, yeah, you're right. It's like even their cooler weather is, is showing up later in the season too for them. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. But um, yeah, I mean, here in Pittsburgh, we've always had pretty mild weather. So that's probably why in the more southern areas like Allegheny, Green and because we're almost in West Virginia. Um, I'm probably about 45 minutes from there. And um, yeah, so our, our winters are pretty mild down here. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's like, it's, I almost want to have those colder, harsher winters again, just to have that, uh, the quality again. And it just, it just overall has a more of a balance in the ecosystem. And uh, with the, well, I don't know, it's like what we're here in, in the Midwest, we're starting to see some of the, um, that's what I'm looking for. Some of the sins of our forefathers starting to show up. Like we have 3M in Minneapolis, and because of their dumping that they did and their lack of, and they didn't know what was going on, a lot of that that poison is now starting to show up in the lakes around Minneapolis. And I was like, I think the DNR announced in December or so that there is something like 23 lakes that are inedible. You can't eat any of the fish out of them because they're so toxic. And the worst part is, is like, we have one massive flood that's going to hit right into the Mississippi Delta. And that's just going to just trickle down all the way down to Louisiana. And it's just not going to be a good sign. So it's like, and plus it's like, you don't know what's going to come out of uh, the sludge of Ohio and Pennsylvania from the iron. You know, it's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of issues we're going to be seeing here pretty soon. Cause if we don't start focusing on the quality of our water, we're going to see a deterioration of all around because of that poison is going to get into, into our blood system or our bloodstream and along with all the wildlife around it. So we could see a, a massive die off. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we even have uh, issues like that with our uh, trout stocking. You know, I grew up in an area where, uh, you know, there was a bunch of abandoned coal mines and, you know, uh, we usually, so like we were discussing winter, we always get hit with one big last snow in like March. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, if it can get substantial, the trout season here opens up, I think it's like the second Saturday of April. And um, if it we get a bunch of snow and then it melts all at one time, it floods all the creeks, gets into the uh, abandoned mines. And then washes all that sulfur into those fresh creeks. And I remember a few times where it killed all the trout that they stocked. Oh man, that's a lot of money just down the drain. Oh, it was it was terrible walking along there and just seeing just dead fish laying everywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's just so frustrating. You know, and luckily we haven't seen any massive um kill-offs, knock knock on wood, but you never know what could happen. I know we the DNR and a lot of the the, the community in these areas have done a lot try to put a lot of energy into cleaning everything up. I know like we have a, a small community here called French Island and because of the airport, it polluted their tap water, the groundwater. And so now they actually have to get bottled water in because it's so toxic. 
from all the fuel and stuff like that, that they had to ingest them. And then the worst part is that's sitting right on next to the Mississippi. So one massive flood to come through could just really do wreak havoc in the area. And our, and over in this area right here, it's like, we're the bass is so we're such a, a hot spot for bass pro. They'll bring in the bass master classic elite series to come into here and they'll, they'll, they'll fish for a, for a week. And it's like, we don't want to lose that. Cause that brings a lot of tourism dollars on top of like, it just, it's something exciting to see. No, absolutely. Yeah. Now, what is your good? So now you have two more weeks left of your season. So how are you? So now the hunting and parks is over with, correct? Yes. Yeah. We were, so how the state that is with Allegheny. So they break us up into what they call wild uh, WMUs or wildlife management units. Um, and Pittsburgh and Philadelphia are the most populated ones. So they extend our season two two weeks later. But for the rest of the state, they finished up on Saturday. So, yeah, I like any county, I have two more weeks. Now, do you have a couple of spots that you're going to be able to hit and hopefully punch your last tag, last, top, last two tags? Yeah. Yes. And it was funny. I was just talking to a friend of mine. We have a spot. Um, it's about three or four acres. Um, a friend of mine, he... I, I don't understand this as a diehard hunter, but um, he has about four acres of great land and he just doesn't like to hunt. He shoots art. I met him. We shoot 3D tournaments together, but he just doesn't want to go through the effort. Uh, <laughs> so he gave me permission to hunt on his property and we hung a stand there and nobody's been in that stand since November. Okay. <laughs> So that area has been unpressured for the last three months. So I'm hoping when I get there tomorrow and maybe this week, they'll, you know, be back to their normal, it, it you know, probably something similar to like what happens on the first week of your season, you know, they're, they're unpressured completely. So they, you know, they kind of walk around carefree now because there's nobody out there bothering them. That is, I'm hoping you'd be able to tag, be able to, uh, to, to encounter some now, we just finished up a holiday hunt as of January first, uh, and so it was, it was only gun only, and you can only to do antlers only. So it's like in the area that I like the the, the place I that one I have scouted out where I kind of have them patterned. It got him. It got it, there was a lot. There was always somebody out there throughout that. I think it's like six days for the gun hunting for rifle season, and so I was like, well, I went out there with my dad and my daughter uh, on New Year's, and we just saw tracks everywhere. It's like, well. This is not, I can't, I'm not going to be able to visit this place until pretty much this weekend when I know that the, the pressure's off. It's only going to be the diehards are going to be out that are going to be out there this weekend or in the, in the last weekend before the season's over with. So hopefully I'll be able to connect with something and set up a spot. I have, I, I found a couple different trails that I want to mix it up with. So I'm hoping that we'll be able to, uh, I'll be able to capitalize on another deer and have another one to the freezer. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. Yeah. So now do you only have your uh, Instagram or do you have a YouTube channel yet? Or, or how, how is, uh, where do you see your online present going with your, your urban? So hopefully, yeah, I don't have a YouTube channel yet, but um, that's in the works is that, you know, hopefully uh, getting to, cause I mean, it's interesting. I never saw it. You know, a lot of people would be interested in the idea of the urban hunting. I know there's so much hunting out there, but hopefully uh, I'm going to get a YouTube channel up where, um, you know, we're going to be filming some of the hunts and kind of talking about what it's like to do urban hunting. And, you know, 
like I said, I see that it's going to expand and I'd like to, you know, help some people. And, you know, and I've done that with some of my friends that, you know, trying to get them into the idea of how do you do this? How do you get into the urban aspect? Because I know it isn't, it isn't as easy as going out and buying a license and going out and pitching some tree stands. You know, you got to, there's a lot of other things you have to worry about, especially with, you know, gaining permission. And cause you know, here in Allegheny County, if you looked at a map, I think every piece of land is owned by someone. So, you know, moving forward, yeah, hopefully I'm going to get a YouTube channel started and, you know, get some hunts recorded and so that everybody can check it out. Awesome. So where can people find you at then on, well, I've mentioned your Instagram. So do you have anything else? Do you want to mention that I haven't? Um, no, not right now. I mean, I just tell everybody to keep, you know, keep an eye on my Instagram account and uh, I'll be posting my YouTube channel up there pretty soon. Fantastic, man. Well, thank you for coming on, Matt. I really learned a lot about how you approach the urban hunting and how you guys want to navigate the, the waters of dealing with the anti-world. But I'm glad you guys are able to have a community and have the, the, the blue back you guys so this way. Then you have that uh, you, can, you can maintain that relationship and continue hunting for years to come. Yeah, great. Hey, well, it was uh, great. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad you had me on. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, sir. I'll talk to you later.